shaken in. And Hornquist, who has not played a lot in the game, made the most of the time that time. And it's one to nothing. And Crossing Broadcast is back. And the Penguins win the Stanley Cup. That was the sound of Doc Emmerich. Uh, Are we supposed to hate the Penguins, like, naturally? Is that, like, what do you guys think? Philadelphia fandom, do you hate the Penguins automatically? Well, ask Russ, since I'm guessing he didn't become a Flyers fan until, like, 2004. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate that. That's a great lead-in. Um, yeah, I mean, I the the only reason that I really hated Pittsburgh, uh, even growing up, was was once Crosby became a, a member of the team. When I I've said this before. When I was a, a little kid, I enjoyed watching Mario Lemieux play. I didn't hate the Penguins. I didn't understand the rivalry because I didn't live in the area. Um, there's just no way I can cheer for Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin. So yeah, I think I think if that's all you've ever been exposed to, then then yeah, you're supposed to hate the Penguins. You lived in Pottsville. You weren't like in Phoenix. Yeah, see, you just you you don't get what the cold regions like. Well, man. Kyle, what yeah. what's your deal, Kyle? Do you hate? Have you always hated the Penguins? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I mean, it's a natural thing. I guess growing up during the Lemieux years for and and when the Flyers were real good in the late '90s and stuff, I think the Rangers and Devils were were one, yeah. one and two depending on the season, and the Penguins were. They were less of a threat then. Uh, obviously, they were real good in the early 90s, but during that, that flyer stretch, even though they met a couple of times in the playoffs, they weren't quite the threat that the Rangers were back in 95 and 97. The Devils kept beating them. So, yeah, I think Crosby took the, the Philly Penguins hate to a new new height. I guess what sucks about this is that and like that 2012 series where the Flyers just embarrassed the Penguins it looked like they had finally turned a corner and had their number. And then since then, that core group of Flyers guys has never won another playoff series in, yeah. in over five years. And the Penguins have now won two cups. So like, as far as the trash talk rivalry goes, I mean, like, I, I, feel like, I feel like they just, like, ran over us and smacked us with a paddle. Yeah, they've been kicking ass. I mean, they win another Stanley Cup. Sidney Crosby's third. Uh, Sunday night, and Kyle, you thought the Hornquist celebration was a little understated on that first goal. Yeah, I don't like. I I wish we could put the video here, but anyone who saw it, he scored the goal with whatever it was, ninety seconds to go. To, you're win, that that is essentially the Stanley Cup winning goal. Like at that point in the game, you could pretty much bank on you just won the Stanley Cup. The the guys on the bench are piling on top of each other, like jumping, forming a pile on the bench. And Hornquist is there with his hands in the air with, you know, like he was excited, a half a shrug. He used to play for the Predators, but it was like a half a shrug, almost like, I think, like a wink to the fact that that was a bullshit goal to win the Stanley Cup on. Wow. Uh, I was just disappointed in his celebration. I want I want my Stanley Cup winning goals to be off the chain. So I'd be interested to get either of your takes and start with you, Russ, on the, on like, what is your favorite celebration of all time because that well, as far as like big time goals would be dead last for me well let's just kind of set the scene here that that goal that Hornquist scored Laviolette actually challenged for goaltender interference which there really was nothing he and, had one, and what, once what he and once lose? again once again Peter Laviolette's Stanley Cup uh you know team was defeated on a fluky shouldn't have gone in game six week goal just like what happened with uh, Michael Layton and the Flyers and 
2010. Oh, so there, flashback. so there's, so there's that, right? Like it wasn't like he he screamed a howitzer from from the line. Like this was a, a weird kind of fluky popped up and in. You're in, you're in disbelief. The guy played 363 games for Nashville. It's almost like um, this happens a lot in soccer. If you if you score on your former team's grounds you you don't rub it in their faces i think that's showing more respect to the to the hometown fans in nashville than it, that. than it is fuck that nah. you just won the stanley cup with fucking I mean, celebrate i can, don't think that was it i mean you could say that but I, i'm just i'm just saying like i think that probably played a little bit into it and the, and the yeah. nature of and the nature of the goal um the way that it he went didn't have and to also hump his stick like he just had to celebrate i'm not saying like, you should go and taunt yeah, but like, or whatever. Okay, so I guess you could also make the case that it's not like he scored it in the last ten seconds. Like Nashville, oh, if nothing God. else, Nashville, if nothing else, was a very, very good team at home. If you go absolutely off your rocker and then they come back down and score and push it to a game seven, then you look like an idiot. I don't know. I mean, only that guy will know why he celebrated the way he did. I don't think it was a totally inappropriate celebration. It was it was underwhelming and and it doesn't necessarily match the. Uh, the expectation that you would have of a Stanley Cup winning goal, but it is what it is. Um, What's that, your celebration? My, my celebration, the one that kind of sticks with me, was 4 Jeremy Roenick winning uh, game six in overtime against the Maple Leafs. Um, just yeah. remember just remember him ripping that shot uh, on the right side of the ice. He goes around to the left, and he, he kind of like did this dance, and then he got absolutely mugged by the rest of the team against the glass around center ice. That That's really the one that sticks with me. Um, so I guess if you're looking to compare the two, yeah, like the Ronicle looks like he won the Stanley Cup, and you know Hornquist looks like a like a fool. Adam, you got one. And hockey, uh, by the way, is the sport they play on the ice. Yeah, I was gonna go with the Scott Hartnell goal when he scored, and then immediately got into a fight like two seconds later, just because I think the best way to celebrate is by punching another man right in the face. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed that, and I'm gonna be kind of corny. I enjoyed Danny Breer's celebration every time he did it. Like, it really made me happy. When he got down on one knee and kind of did, like, the, the windmill arm, like, every yeah. time he did that, it made me happy. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Breer was, like, Breer was a, one of those, like, lovable dorks. Like, he was kind of a nerd yes. on the ice, but but you appreciated that. I'll go with, uh, I'll go outside the Flyers to start. I'll go Stefan Matteau in the, uh, God, I'm going to forget the year here, the Game 7 between the Rangers and the Devils in 94, I guess, the year the Rangers won the Cup, where he scores on that wraparound, and then he kind of kind of steps his way over to the side, jumping up and down. And my 1A, not 1A, but a similar celebration, same building, by the way, would be John LeClaire's game, testing me here, Game 4 against the Rangers, 1997 Eastern Conference Finals, when he scored with seven seconds to go, on the backhand, no, I'm sorry, Lindros scored. Lindros scored, and Leclerc went running over to him, stepping on his feet. Uh, I'm a big fan of the step celebration. And quite honestly, Adam, it's, uh, Russ, it sounds like you are too, because that was Roenick's celebration. I like it when guys are so excited they forget they're on skates and they begin walking. To me, that that's, the, that's a surefire sign of a big-time goal. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also worth pointing out that uh, we might have seen one of the worst blown calls in the uh, – the history of the Stanley Cup Finals in the beginning of that, or in the in the second period of that game. Yes. Um, I don't know how much we wanted to get into that, but um, I think a guy's name is Sissons. He uh, he rips a shot. The uh, the refs on the wrong side of the play. I mean, I guess technically he's I guess he's in the right spot because he's on the right side. He's on the left side of the ice facing the goal. 
but he loses sight of the puck. They tell you to blow the whistle, but the the goalie never actually um, froze the puck. It pops out the other side, and Nashville buries it. Should have been the uh, you know the the leading goal. They take it back off the uh, off the board, and you know Pittsburgh goes on to win it. It's a shame because if nothing else, the idea of building up to a game seven in uh, the Stanley Cup Finals would be exponentially more interesting than watching uh, tonight's Warriors and Cavs you're game. You're out of your damn mind. <laughs> yeah, you are You're, you're, you're going to watch LeBron try and come back from 3-0 and shatter all of our brains. If he wins tonight, you're going to be like, oh my God, the Cavs-Warriors is the greatest series ever. No, I'm not, because it's, because it's not. No, listen, I, I really have enjoyed watching it, but like I'm saying Game 7... the. I don't think there's any comparison between the NBA and the NHL when it comes to the finals, to the atmosphere in the arenas. So, so you are incorrect. Me, I, so you're on, if we're just going Game Seven versus Game Seven, I'll take Warriors Cavs Game Seven. No, I would too. Anybody. No, I'm saying on, like on the the field or the ice. Yeah, I'd rather watch basketball in a Game Seven. But I'm saying there is nothing like going to a game that's playoff hockey. I'm going to be honest. I have heard this now for like 20 years, where right around this time, everyone goes, "Ugh." There's nothing better than playoff hockey. And I think now that it's bullshit, but everyone has been saying it for so long that it's like, well, you know, spring forward, fall back. Like it's become this like part of our lexicon in sports where we automatically say it's better than everything else. And I don't think it is. Adam, have you ever been to a playoff hockey game? I have not. <laughs> well, All right. when's the last, home? wait, Russ, when's the last time you went to one? Uh, Flyers Bruins. I think it was twenty eleven. Okay, because I, I went to that. Mind? I went like to six years ago. Did it change your life? It was awesome. When's the last time great. you went to? When's the last time you went to an NBA playoff game? Twenty twenty twelve. The year that the Sixers beat the Bulls. Yeah, shut up, Adam. I'm I don't think that was that twenty twelve. Yeah, yeah. That was the When's last time you went to an Eagles play or uh, any NFL playoff? Now, nah, see, you had to change it because the Eagles suck. I'm sorry. Yeah, we haven't. Uh, we haven't gotten to. We haven't gotten to enjoy on, some good playoffs. Not good comebacks. No, I'm but have you not? Have you been to an NFL playoff game? No, I haven't. That's what. Like, so I'm not saying that now it's wrong. Like, going to one doesn't matter. I'm just saying that every year, it's the same. Like everyone says the same stuff. So I just don't know if it's true. I want to jump in here, and I'm trying. Someone told me on Twitter that I make mouth sounds into the mic when I want to jump in, so I'm doing my best. Yeah, you do to- this. You do this. You go. Yep, exactly. <laughs> he like preps. He preps his uh, his like, instrument. Like it's the same sound <laughs> I imagine right before you're gonna make out with somebody. You're like, yeah, it's the same. Thing. And that's what you're doing to our microphones and our ears. Is you're yep. kissing us in the deepest part of our soul. Uh, apparently, um, that. Uh, let's just get, uh, there's no good way to transition to our wait hold first. on wait no wait, wait this is why I want to see this is why I prep my lips so I can I can uh, jump in let's go with this for a second I think Kyle Lowry I, no <laughs> I think this is a good topic uh, I, I kind of agree with you on the every spring we get the hockey thing every March we get the nothing is better than the NCAA tournament the yeah, fact like every is, March we get the argument that oh, they just care more in college basketball yeah, that's why yeah. it's better no they don't they don't care more they don't get paid so they can't the, care as much I think it. I think it really depends on the particular season. Like the hockey argument, first of all, going to a playoff hockey game and going to any playoff game is tremendous. Yeah, okay, but uh, there is something, Adam, about a there is something about a playoff hockey game, especially in the old spectrum. I know this was before Russ knew what the Flyers were. I'm sure, but 
But this, I mean, like, I, I remember going to games, Now I was like 12 in 1995, the first year the Flyers made it back in the playoffs in that Rangers series. Um, that bit, like a building like that, and, and granted, these buildings don't exist anymore, was just like, a, unlike anything you've ever seen. I've been to World Series games, I've been to de- late round hockey and NBA playoff games, Stanley Cup games, nothing, nothing even came close to that particular atmosphere. But I think, even still with hockey, it is so intense and um like there's a certain uh visceral quality to hockey to playoff hockey with guys hitting each other and the pace that makes playoff hockey in person maybe one of the best sports experiences you can have but i'm kind of with you in that the the nhl playoffs i feel like they've lost something and this is like totally just playing into hype and marketing but when those games were on espn and you had the music and the gary thorns and and if they felt like they were events back then and since espn lost the rights the nhl nbc does a great job with the sport but the nhl really has lost something and don't get me wrong when the flyers are in it those games are as entertaining as as any local sports game you're ever going to watch flyers hockey playoff hockey games but I do think it's a little overstated how good the NHL playoffs are. I know Spike Eskin tweeted something about this when it was like, you know, 120 to 110 in one of the finals games. And, and he said, you know, give me your your uh, one nothing double overtime thriller up against this any day. Because, like, you take a game last night, as good as it was, you have no scoring for, 40, uh, for 58 minutes. Um you know the soccer game my wife walked in and she's like why are you watching soccer not the cup and i'm like well i'm going back and forth there's actually more scoring in the soccer game right now i like i'm with you that the nba playoffs at times can be a truly tremendous product that don't get the love that they should and this play there wasn't a lot of competition this playoffs but this warriors Cavs series for a three to one series it has been the most it's been one of the most entertaining series i've ever seen bar none and by far the most entertaining lopsided series of all time yeah and i do find playoff hockey to be very exciting i just think that we live in this hyperbolic world where like i can guarantee you in august there's going to be two people that tear their acl in training camp and then you're going to see articles that are like a rise in in acl should they change practice we just react the same way about the same events every year and i just don't know if it's the truth that's just my point. No, I'm I'm with you. I think um, part of I think part of what what feeds into the the perception that that hockey playoffs are better, at least in a live sense, is now I don't want to I don't want to be totally off on this, but I remember when the Wizards were in the playoffs in the NBA, there were a lot of empty seats in that place, and I know it's just one team, and it, it probably wasn't that great of a series, but you don't see that as much in hockey. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna look I this bet up for you the there next was show. Some shit attendance playoff games in the NHL this year. I'm gonna I look that up today for series. for Wednesday. Yeah, do that uh, because we I need to look up uh, our first one star review. Uh, I'm not even gonna say his with name. With text, we've had a couple. We've had a couple where people hit the stars. This is the first guy who's who's been so it's outraged because his title and his comment are the same, and I disagree with both. And the the, the comment is spent ten minutes. On June 9th, trying to prove a woman wasn't harassed. Uh, I don't think we did that. 
No, I don't either. Uh, so what he's referring to, if you didn't hear last show, or even if you did, we were talking about uh, Sarah Todd, the new Sixers beat writer, and how she had this horrible take about the Sixers losing or the Kings winning the Sixers-Kings trade a few years ago. She doubled down on it, got a ton of hate on Twitter last week. Um, you know, some nasty, mean comments, you know, pretty run-of-the-mill sports you know, stuff that sports people get. And she tweeted a few times that she was being... Uh, insulted. I think she said, used the word harassed and threatened. She definitely used the word threatened. And she said she was called a cunt 60 times. And she retweeted one guy, one singular person who called her a cunt. And she said, you know, well, here it goes, referring to the fact that, hey, I'm a new female sports writer and I got to deal with this stuff that other people don't have to deal with. And all I was saying was that that guy's an asshole. You shouldn't call her a cunt. You could rip her, whatever. It's a horrible take. Don't bring in the fact or allude to the fact that she's a woman. Totally unfair. However, I've, as someone who exists online for the last seven years and has a pretty good idea of like uh, the scale at which comments will come to people, I went through her entire Twitter timeline. Every response she had gotten in the last six days, that was the only one of that nature. And over the course of 90 minutes, this whole exchange took place. Her first tweet was at, like, I think 11.30 on the matter, and then she stopped tweeting about it at around 1 o'clock. And within those 90 minutes is when she she said that, oh, I've been all morning, I've been getting these threatening comments. And this guy who left our review tweeted me about it. He said, I'm leaving you a one-star review. What if people had sent her nasty comments on uh, Instagram or direct messages that you couldn't see or emailed her? And... Uh, I'm here to say, speaking with some authority on someone who gets a lot of internet hate, that the chances that many or any people didn't tweet her directly publicly, but took her, sent her a direct message or a private email to call her a cunt is, I'm highly dubious that that occurred at all. Do you think that when Keith Pompey has bad takes or when other people have bad takes that they get similar things sent to them? 100% and times 10 because they have a bigger following. I mean, this this thing with Sarah Todd was, was really relegated to the depths of Sixers Twitter. Like, at the end of the day, you're talking maybe there was a few dozen people really engaged in the yeah. conversation and there was a small Reddit thread about it. Um, you know, yeah, the bigger I just, guys... I, you know what, Kyle? I, I just realized we addressed it. It's good. Yeah. We don't need to keep doing this because we didn't do anything fucking wrong because I'm, I'm very confident in that. Like... We're, we're, we're very good, I think, on this show at being uh, unbiased at, for the sake of being unbiased. And it's just, I think that's a take that's sometimes hard to get into, but you're going, hey, I understand call and response. I understand where this is coming from, and that really wasn't where it stemmed from. Um, let's and you know what? If, if someone did call her, you know, if there were someone direct messaging, harassing her, then fine. I'll be the first to admit that we were wrong. people but put those people on blast. Usually there's a exactly. screenshot and then a post. Uh, like, so I'm human, not ready to sit here. And say we ta- like tagged, you know, teamed up on on a no. female reporter and denied her claims. I'm just dubious that what I think what she tweeted about the reaction she got was was highly exaggerated. I think it's if anyone who sent her nasty stuff, shame on them. It's uh, fair to say that I think Kyle is so emotional because the person who left it was called Nova Cat, mm. and I think Kyle feels slightly betrayed in this moment. And um, I think I that's tell why you that guy is not a Nova cat judging by his Twitter avatar. Yeah, there's look, there's a few things that are guaranteed in life. Uh, when uh, there's hate spewing, people come to crossing broad. When there's scandals spewing, they come to crossing broad. When there's shit that no one cares about, 
they come to Russell Joy. Russ, U.S. Hey. Soccer, how was it? Um, it was a really weird game. I'm going to be honest. There, there were a lot of people tweeting at me last night in the lead up to it, um, and a few people saying, hey, I'm actually going to flip between the hockey game and the soccer game just because you know you made it sound interesting and I want to see this Pulisic kid. So pretty much everything that I said was going to happen didn't happen. Um, Pulisic had a rough game. Um, prior to last night's game, this is I, you know something I think I should have brought up last week, Christian Pulisic, the kid from Hershey, if you didn't hear, he plays for Borussia Dortmund in, in the Bundesliga in Germany. Um, well pronounced. Nice job. I, I speak German, so I, I better. Wait, do you um, speak German or Spanish? Both. So Fuck you. Here's, so like, here's the issue, though. So Pulisic, right, leading up to last night's game, he, he had eight, he, he, I'm sorry, for the national team, he was part of the last eight goals prior to last night. So he either scored the goal or was the uh, the guy getting the assist. So Pulisic was really carrying this team up the standings in the hex, the the six teams of CONCACAF, uh, you know, in the World Cup qualifying. And last night he had a few chances. In the first half, he accounted for the only two real goal scoring opportunities. And he didn't get a whole lot of help. Bobby Wood, who was starting at, at striker, was just not making good runs. He wasn't really, you know, causing a, a lot of good buildup in play. He wasn't finishing. He had an opportunity in the first half to bury one pretty much on the doorstep and didn't do it. It was a weird lineup because the, the national team will usually roll out four defenders. Last night, Bruce Arena, the guy who took over for Jurgen Klinsmann, he had formerly been in charge of the men's national team, rolled out a five defender lineup. And it and I don't want to get into tactics and why that's weird, but it what it comes off as in a lot of cases is it looks like the U.S. and a lot of the Mexican the, a weak. lot of the yeah a lot of the Mexican fans after the Mexican media were were really going after the U.S. as they went to bunker they they just went in there to try to escape with one point in a in a draw and they did and and it's yeah and and they ended up doing it and it it was weird because when you run a five back set like that they have three. They have three center backs and then two wing backs, and those guys are supposed to get involved in the buildup and play to kind of cause mismatches on the outside. And it and it worked. You, you take a lot of the pressure and then you counterattack, and that's what you do. And so that was interesting. Um, they also ran out what a lot of people would call the B team. They didn't have Clint Dempsey or Josie Altador starting. Those are names that I think even casual fans who have watched the men's national team in the World sure. Cup would recognize. They didn't play them. Um, Altidore came in, I think, around the 70th minute. Um, Dempsey did not see the field. Part of that was because it was a short rest since the game against Trinidad that they won, and also because they were playing at elevation. They were playing in the Asalio Azteca, which is like 7,000 uh, feet over, you know, above sea level, so that kind of goes in. Um, but they, they came out with a point, and the Michael Bradley goal, um, if you haven't seen it, and even if you hate soccer, it is a it is a great goal to see. There's a weird turnover that happens about 40 yards out from the Mexican goal. He takes one touch, looks up, sees that Ochoa is way out on his line, and he rips this beautiful chip shot that goes probably 35 in the air. He couldn't have hit it any better, and he absolutely silenced the crowd. And that crowd hates their, their manager. I don't know why. They, they're very skeptical of his tactics, but... Um, it, it was really interesting. It got that place dead silent, and then the U.S. gets caught on a counterattack, which, again, if you're running five defenders, you, you should never have a play where you're getting caught off guard on a counter. They they pushed a lot of guys forward to try to, I guess, you know, bury a 2 nothing lead, uh, dos a cero, again, and it, it did not work out for them. All right, um, so a cu- couple of things. Um, 
I'm not I'm not like a I have trouble getting into the inner like I, I'm not I don't want to piss off the soccer people here is what I'm saying is I like watching the EPL and the Champions League I struggle to watch any MLS or get into the U.S. men's national team before uh, before the World Cup rolls around however uh, at this point where you can kind of trace a line to the fact that, that these these qualifying matches all, almost always result, they result in the U.S. getting in the World Cup. Like, is there ever really a danger that they're not going to get into the World Cup? Yeah, I feel like every is. year, are you really, like yeah. a real danger or like, oh, yeah. God, they lost one game and soccer fans over overreact? Yeah, th- this cycle has been uh, really worrisome. So okay. this this is, let me let me do my 30-second explainer on, on why we why we're at where we're at. So they they brought in Jurgen Klinsmann, who had been a German national team coach prior to them uh, winning, before uh, Yogi Lowe took over for Germany and they they went on to win the World Cup. Klinsmann had also managed at Bayern Munich, which if uh, you're even a casual fan, Bayern Munich is is the top team in Germany. Um, Klinsmann was brought in to essentially do this whole top-down rebuild of uh, the men's national team program, try to get more guys to play in the Bundesliga to play in Europe. He really trashed MLS, which didn't go over well with U.S. soccer. He then would step back or walk back some of his comments. Klinsman was really good from the perspective of a guy who could build a program, but his his game day tactics were, were off. Sometimes the squad that he would pick to go into qualifying matches was just odd. Um, you even had a guy in the last World Cup, if anybody saw it, um, the U.S. played Belgium. A young kid named Julian Green came on an extra time and scored a goal um, that, that kind of helped them in that game. But Julian Green hasn't been heard from since. So they were in really bad shape. They were in last place in this hex. And the big thing that happened was um, U.S. soccer finally pulled the plug on Klinsman. It looked like the players had given up on him and they had to cut their losses, which is why they brought back Bruce Arena, who had been the national team coach before that. I believe he was the all-time winningest coach for the team. The disappointing thing, if you were a U.S. soccer fan, was even if you liked Bruce Arena, they didn't even go through the charade of having a legitimate coaching search. And I think part of that was expedited by the fact that they were in last place in this hex. And if they hadn't gone on a bit of a winning streak here and gotten up to third on in the table, um, they, How long they actually does the hex they, last. Like is this like is it like two years leading up to the World Cup? I've always been confused by these World Cup qualifying matches. Like, how far out does it actually start? Uh, that is not a good question for me. I, I know I should know it. I think it's That's like fine. a year. I I know that they like were, we're a year out World, now. So yeah, I mean they started playing World Cup qualifiers lat in 2016, and they're obviously doing it through 2017. So That's at crazy. least the part of two years. Um, Here's but they're they're now they're now I think third in the table. They're tied on points, but they have a um, there's another team that has a game in hand over them. But if it were to end points. today, they would be in. They they would qualify as but, always. But like typically, the U.S. should finish in first or second. Got it. And Mexico is so far out at this point. Had you won last night, you would have I think only been four points behind Mexico, or it would have been even closer. I think as it stands now, they're six behind. That's really not the well, concern. Let me, let me ask you this about, about them winning, because they clearly went in there and seemed pretty happy with the tie. And I, I mean, there, there can, you know, we could hand ring for days about U.S. interest in soccer, which is absolutely increasing. But I think part of the, one of the things that 
holds it back for a mainstream casual fan. Like I talked my talked to my dad yesterday and he was aware that there was a soccer game last night. He hates soccer. And I told him, he said, you're going to watch the Stanley Cup game tonight. I said, yeah. I said, I'm going to put on the soccer too. And he's like, oh yeah, that's right. That's on. So um, there was some mainstream casual interest in this for sure. And I think the sort of thing that will turn off people like that if you know people make a lot of the injuries or whatever and, and players faking injuries that's more of a that's that's not so much an english thing that is more that's, of that's I, an that's an italian serie a thing yeah exactly um but i i think what happens is yeah and i noticed that in the champions league final by the way it was it was absurd and it makes the italian the italian and i guess a little bit of the spanish game pretty tough to watch um but i i feel like people will watch that game match last night and it was so painfully obvious that the U.S. was just trying to get out of there with the tie. They, they scored one lucky goal, had very, as you said, had very few scoring chances otherwise, and essentially just sat back and decided that we're gonna we're gonna just settle with for one point here. It's all that we need, and it's a good good result for us. And I'm okay with that. Like, as a, I appreciate the pragmatic approach in American sports. You want to win, 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 dominate. Even when it's like a meaningless end of season game, you want your teams to come out and go on the offensive because large because ties are are not rarely valuable in American sports and are usually frowned upon and all of our rules are are put in place to decide a winner it is just the way the you know the American game goes even hockey had to throw on a skills competition at the end of a regular season game because lest anybody dare walk away without feeling like the victor so I don't have a problem with soccer clubs going into a match and saying hey a tie would be great one point is worth sometimes worth a lot more to one club than another but I do feel like that puts off the casual fan a little bit. You come to this game, you're you put on the game, you're excited. This is a big match. You know the the U.S. can gain some ground on Mexico, and you what you find is clearly a team that is just content with taking their lucky goal and sitting on it and sitting on the bus, like the sort of thing that only happens in American sports. Say the Penguins had gone up 3-0 last night when there's like a you know a big game or big title on the line and teams will just go into absolute like pull up the buses mode and do everything they can to prevent the other team from scoring and that happens all too often in soccer and i feel like that pushes people off i think that's a little knowing knowing soccer and watching as much as i do that it's a little bit of an unfair assessment of what so many teams do i agree but if you watch if you watch epl or if you watched the europa league to watch manchester united and and jose Mourinho's team yeah they parked the bus and that's what he's known for but let me ask you a question but what would what would you rather do do would you rather watch an ugly game where you end up winning a title or would you rather watch a beautiful game that leads you to to defeat Personally, and I think that's, personally and that's, I'm fine with with that approach, but I do think it 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 puts a lot of people off in the U.S. where we're used to teams going for the win, sometimes against their own thing. Like teams even frown upon NFL teams or jockeying for playoff position or NBA teams. You know, if you know you have a better matchup with a particular team, the, you know, you'll occasionally be in that situation where a team could actually lose their last game and fall to maybe a six seed or fall to the fourth, uh, second wild card seed because they have a better matchup against someone else, and that is totally frowned upon here like the mindset in the u.s is no you go out and win and get the best record you possibly can and then you worry about what what comes next later and soccer is a more pragmatic approach so i don't have a problem with it i think it makes a lot of sense but i do think it it makes it tough for the mainstream audience because i guarantee you very casual observers last night were t- t- turned into that game we're like oh my god this team is just 
Like what? <laughs> They're just doing well, everything they can to stop Mexico from scoring, and and that's it. End of the story. first half was really exciting. The second half, they really did sit back. Yeah. Okay. There's there's no doubt about that. It'll be interesting going forward to see what they do. A lot of a lot of things have changed, especially since. Well, I I don't want to get into a long rant. We 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 already experienced Kyle Scott going down a very very dark winding rabbit hole on Friday's episode. Yeah, he went what was that? Pretty much Kyle? pretty much Alice in Wonderland style. Off. What was that all about? The Mad <laughs> Hatter. Look at Russ becoming the uh, the transitionist here. Well, let's he's be honest. Take... He just went on a twenty minute sermon about soccer, so it only <laughs> makes sense to go from one to another. So what what happened on Friday? I'm surprised you're still breathing, Adam, and it didn't black out after his soccer. I did. No, I, 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 thought I, so. I just got resuscitated. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'll sum it up, uh, if, if you didn't, I'll, and I'll do this quickly. My, my, I tried to tie together all of these topics we talked about, about the NBA being more popular in the N- than the NFL, becoming more popular in, than the NFL, uh, how WWE's audience has gotten old, why pl- people our age hate places like Buffalo Wild Wings, these chain restaurants, and I dialed it back all the way to world war ii which actually got uh which which sounds bananas but i got good feedback on twitter about this people said they were laughing and i think appreciated my my uh attempt to go full circle with this my point was um starting back then after world war ii and i'm going to go through it quickly we had all this manufacturing and these big mega conglomerates just bubbled up over the next 40 years after the war we had all this manufacturing we 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 got all these huge manufacturers and multinational conglomerates and huge massive brands that by the time the 90s rolled around it was like the height of american consumerism everything you couldn't everything was just based on how much marketing spend you could throw at something nike disney mcdonald's burger king like everything was just sponsored and Budweiser. And what you had by the turn of the early millennium was a a society that was basically eating over-marketed, eating and consuming and buying over-marketed products that that generally weren't the highest in quality. And I think as the internet bubbled up and people got smartphones, you started to get, you peel back those layers, you know, like look at something like craft beer, like people began to uh, become hashtag woke to the fact that the Budweiser and Miller Lite wasn't real beer. Uh, it began, you know, people began to shun restaurants like the Buffalo Wild Wings or McDonald's or, you know, an Applebee's for like more authentic food. And, you know, obviously the whole organic movement plays into that. And I feel like that whole that whole thing, there's a there's a line between like authenticity, and so we were talking about the NBA and the NFL. I think that kind of t- played in because the NFL was a brand that was so protective of its image, and the NBA made a decision about ten years ago that it was going to let people share their stuff. It was going to let play, they were going to let players' personalities bubble to the surface, and and what you're left with today is the NBA feels more authentic, even though it's very cultivated authenticity. You you feel like these the personalities are authentic, the moments are genuine uh whereas the nfl it feels like a lot of uh, you know it, it sometimes feel contrived and a little bit too brand conscious and i feel like nowadays people kind of shun themselves at that and i think as that related to wrestling it was like you know in in 2000 the attitude era that was sort of the height of like wow i can't believe this stuff is on tv and now a younger a younger person today is like well i i don't need to watch a wwe to get my titillation i don't need to see hot girls in the wwe i can go watch guys fighting in the ufc or watch you know crazy ass fights someone tweeted me that they saw or maybe this was you adam like you saw a guy get punched um 
a rapper get punched on stage. Like you don't need to watch a WWE for your crazy shit. So that was what my sermon was about. I tried to tie, I went back to World War II and I tied it all into 90s consumerism and why uh, authentic, people now value authentic things. The, I, think the point, I think you guys are both real as hell. Kyle, I, I, the part, a compliment. Kyle, the part that you uh, had said about food uh, during your rant about people wanting to you know go on Yelp and, and find something resonated with me um because i i hate 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 going to regular commercial like sandwich or sub shops or hoagies i guess we say around here um i i actually have gone on a long search for the the best sandwich i could find i found it last week i drove 20 minutes out of my way just to go find a small business that that was the highest rated on yelp our own so Glenn I, Mac now no and uh I gotta say it was it, it that part resonated with me because back in the day, and this is I guess the coal region in me, you typically tended to trust whenever a big business would move into town because you thought that if it if it moved in that it had to be successful and it had to be great, and you kind of turn your back on on you know the small mom and pop shops, which is part of why the coal region has has fallen so far by the wayside. Sure, and it's only a now, Walmartization of of everything, you know well, that the, happened. The, that happened in my hometown. Walmart moved in. A lot of the small mom and pop shops and delis shut down. And not only now do I realize, you know, what a what a terrible thing that was for the area. And it, and it's funny because there's one one little pop up shop in Pottsville, a little restaurant that like everybody is raving about now. Um, it's like the first new business to move in there that people legitimately seem to to be in love with. And it's and that's a cool thing. And that's definitely a millennial thing to have a a small place that you know can kind of bring the community back together it's almost like they're trying to i don't know gravitate to something to to find that community feel again poor Pottsville, but yeah i think I, uh, what you're describing is what i was trying to describe and I, I was trying to just draw the parallels between that notion and sports because i do think that same sort of mindset plays into sports fandom and that that's pretty much the whole bow on it i i think it's something that plays into the our online experience too i know that you want to talk about netflix and amazon and you want to correct something from last week but I think the entire advertiser model is about to change, and it's all going to be about authenticity. I just read something that uh, uh, Apple, I think, is getting rid of autoplay on websites, which is going to cripple a lot of places. Uh, you sent us an article yesterday on Recode that we're finally going to get statistics on podcasts, and we're going to see how long people actually listen uh, and if they skip over ads. And like, I'm curious. Bill Simmons, we all know when he's doing his super popular podcast and he goes, all right, let me take a moment. You hit the skip button six times and you listen to your podcast. How is this going to change the industry? But also you want to correct, I guess, Netflix and Amazon are profitable. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, we said, I think you said Netflix wasn't profitable. And then I said, no, they are. Uh, but Amazon is not. And we were both wrong. Both companies, uh, I guess, have recently turned in record profits or near record profits. Um so I, I'm not sure where we got that from. For me, I, Amazon for a long time was not profitable and their stock kept growing. And then I guess it's been over the last year or two that they finally just, finally began turning a profit. Uh, so so we, we were wrong on that. Thank you for your tweets. Uh, not sure where that came from. But on your point about um, about like the, the authenticity in the online world, like 
I, you know, it, advertising is interesting because it's it's it needs to exist for for many reasons. And one of the challenges over the last few years is internet advertising has gotten so bad that you're now seeing a pushback where companies like Apple are making it a ten pole feature where they are removing autoplay video and removing ad trackers right in their default browser because it's become such a crappy invasive experience for some. Um, this is self-serving, of course, but podcast advertising, the reason podcasts are so huge right now, besides being a medium that uh, isn't people enjoy and you can have a good, like decent conversation like this, even though we probably haven't talked about sports in 20 minutes, is that uh, uh, like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something people like, but it's also a very effective advertising medium. We will eventually have some ad reads on here. And when we do, you guys will be 40 minutes into the show and we'll take... 30 or 60 seconds to tell you about a business or product. And those ads are like the return on one podcast ad read per per listener rate is like through the roof compared to almost any other form of advertising currently and, and maybe even ever. They, they truly work because you have people who've decided to take their time and listen to a podcast and have people they most likely like or, you know, are used to listening to tell them about a product. So it very much works. And the problem right now, the issue with podcast advertising has been the stats tracking is really tough. Like on our end, we could see how many people download or listen to an episode. And by listen, I mean like hit the play button or download it the first time. But after that, you have no idea how far people make it in. And that's just not like an us problem. That is Adam Carolla, Bill Simmons, Serial. Nobody knows how far into these shows people are making it. We've tried to estimate it. And there's some estimates that say 80% of people who start a podcast actually wind up finishing it. Or if they make it through three minutes, they wind up finishing it. But Apple is now going to, in its podcast app, which accounts for like 70% of podcast listening, um, will pass back to podcast hosts and producers how far people are making it in. And oh, by the way, where in the episode they skip. So you can start to get an idea of how many people skip over ads. So, um, but to your point about authenticity, podcast advertising works because the ads come across as authentic. They're people you you ostensibly like, like and respect are telling you about a product and you know that it supports something you enjoy, that podcast. Whereas internet advertising is just like as many bright lights flashing at you and, and comes across as super fake and authentic. I think it's going to be really interesting, especially if we can start finding out stats on other podcasts because yeah, those big ones that have been big for a long time, if they start crumbling, that would be crazy. Well, what's interesting is, I mean, you know, so it, they're, they're not going to be public. They'll be available to the right, individual right, right. podcasters. But yeah, like it will start coming out like, hey, how many people actually started Serial, you know, that whole Serial movement? And then how many people finished all 12 episodes or whatever it was? That will be interesting to see. You know, you'll start getting people reporting on that sort of thing. Uh, you know, there's going to be some big podcast out there, I think, that have current advertisers and we're billing them at a a rate of, you know, whatever their total listenership was. And there might be a little bit of a cold water splash once they realize that maybe only 65 or 70% of their audience yeah, it was better listening. not be Bill Simmons because he's paying all those people off one podcast. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think so because a lot of the thing is right now, a lot of podcast advertising is direct response. That's why you always hear so many visit, you know, uh, casper.com backslash BS, whatever it is. Because the, so the advertisers can track that and they know that it's successful. They know that it works and they're able to, if they're not getting people hitting those, those links or those custom URLs or landing pages, they know their campaign is not working. But for forever, there's not a whole lot of businesses that aren't, um, 
that aren't built around a direct response relationship, like especially the big brands, you know, the Cokes and Buds of the world, even though we, we know they're inauthentic, they still spend a lot of money advertising and they prop up a lot of content. Even like my website, I'm part of ad networks. A lot of my money comes like when Verizon does an ad buy and wants to reach sports fans and stuff like that. And those companies right now, for the most part, don't advertise on podcasts because they can't measure the direct response and the, the the data they're getting about how many people are listening is is so inexact that by Apple doing this, it will help the industry as a whole. Even if there's a few podcasts who realize they may have been overcharging, as a whole, it will allow a lot more money to flow into podcasting. And uh, um, you're going to start hearing more ads on podcasts. What I hope doesn't happen right now the reason they work is because you have hosts will sit here will stop and say all right let me tell you about this product i think what's going to happen is if you start like cramming pre-produced ads in that sound like radio ads that's when it will start turning south and hopefully that doesn't happen or doesn't happen for a long time russ just left us and i missed him he's gonna get the kids to daycare i think that's a good place to wrap up because i think um we're not going to know the answers to this until it starts developing but it's going to be really interesting to watch i think yeah, I agree. You got any thoughts on the game tonight? Any pr- prediction? Uh, man, I want the Cavs to win so bad. Because if the Cavs win, it's officially really, really scary. Uh, I think that the Warriors are going to win. I would put money that the Warriors are going to win because I think it's back in Golden State. But I will be rooting for the Cavs. Yeah, I'm with you too. I mean, I actually, I, I, I got this weird gut feeling the Cavs are going to win. I'm rooting for the Cavs. I like the Warriors better. Rooting for the Cavs for no other reason than to extend the series. This has been highly entertaining for what has thus far been a lopsided series. That first quarter on Friday night was just the first half the Cavs That was the best 20-point blowout win I've ever seen. Like, the whole game was still great, even though it was 50 and 20 points. It was awesome. These are like uh, all-star games. All right, I'm back in for a second. Oh, um, oh, yeah, oh I know, I know, I know. But you're gonna, you're about, yeah, you're gonna hear my two-year-old yes. in a second. Oh. I just want to point this out. Children, Kevin, Kevin Durant yesterday was asked about, um, do you think that uh, it says something that the Cavs had to had to break all kinds of records in order to beat you guys? Doesn't that give you comfort in knowing that you guys are likely going to win the next game? And Kevin Durant's honest answer was, they could do it again. Now, do I think they will? No. I expect Golden State to go home and win this tonight. But it should be a great game. And like I've said since the beginning, I've wanted this to go seven games. I don't think there's any chance it does. I think Golden State wraps it up tonight. But we've seen record-setting performances before. I won't count out LeBron tonight, but I do think Golden State's going to win. Russ's disappearing act is one of my favorite things about this podcast. It is great. You never know when he's going to come back. <laughs> all right all right guys you guys are awesome as always hit us up with the five star reviews on itunes uh i want to give a special shout out to classic rocker 92 uh we're gonna to get to your question on wednesday asking about uh sixers moving to camden uh scuzz rutherford thank you so much uh i hope that uh, uh russ's recap of u.s mexican soccer match even though it wasn't in spanish hit your liking you guys are great as always uh and hit us up on twitter russell is at joy on broad kyle of course is at crossing broad i am at adam lefko we will hear you will hear us on wednesday